Greetings, everyone. Glad that you can join us again. Here it is, the 2nd of December, I believe, on Wednesday night here in Fallbrook, California. My name is Dan Houghton. I'm here with Dr. Wes Youngberg. And we're just having a conversation, a continuing conversation from two weeks ago, Dr. Youngberg, where we were talking about what you can do at home to help make sure that you are as well prepared to deal with the COVID challenges we have in our world as possible. And uh, we're just glad to be here with you, glad you tuned in, and we're going to spend the next hour uh, continuing to talk about additional strategies, maybe a little bit bigger picture than just what we did last time, talking about vitamin D, although we do have some vitamin D, and, and I just want to quickly at the beginning, we, we have some things later on we're going to talk about. There are some new studies. Why don't you just bring us up to date a little bit on the vitamin D discussion? Right. So since, since we last spoke in mid-November and, and, and presented here, Two very uh, important studies have, have been published. Uh, one of them is looking at individuals who test positive, but they are asymptomatic. They don't have any symptoms, uh, or they might have mild symptoms. And the study was looking at what would happen if we actually gave 60,000 units of vitamin D every day for seven days. Uh, how would that impact the outcome, and how quickly would those individuals be able to clear the virus completely so that they, they test negative for even little pieces of the virus uh, 21 days later. So, so we'll, we'll look at that. Okay. And uh, that was a really interesting and very positive study. The, the, the second study is, is, um, is what we would call a negative study. or a study that challenges the notion that vitamin D is helpful in COVID-19. Now, in reality, the study was looking at people who had been had serious symptoms for 10 days already before they were given one dose of 200,000 units of regular vitamin D. Uh, very different from the earlier studies that we sure. mentioned from University of Cordoba, the, te the teaching hospital in Spain, where they had dramatic improvements when they gave vitamin D correctly. Well, this study that was based in Brazil, and it is yet to be peer-reviewed. So it's been published in a journal that we'll go over that is just available, kind of open label for anybody who wants to put their study down before it gets reviewed by the people that really understand the information. So that has yet to be reviewed, but it is being heralded by many of the critics as proof that vitamin D now, isn't all that it was claimed to be. And, and um, we will, at the end of our discussion today, go over that okay. study with, with some of the top reviewers showing where that study went horribly wrong. Sure. And, and it certainly cannot properly make the conclusion that it did, that vitamin D was not helpful in, in, in patients who have COVID-19. So we'll go over that as sure. well. And I know that there are elements to that study that are comparing apples and oranges, not really apples and apples. But we'll get to that. But the key thing is vitamin D is still a fantastic part of the strategy. And we critical, spent a lot of time on that Critical part time. of the strategy. And we're going to go back and touch on a couple things. But tonight, we want to look at the bigger picture, Dr. Youngberg. Okay. So people that are at home and they're realizing, they're reading the news headlines that, hey, the hospital, hospitalizations are double. I know that here in San Diego County where we are, uh, November 1 to December 1, more than doubled hospitalizations. And so people normally are, are a little apprehensive about that. So we want to talk about a number of strategies. And, and again, a little precursor to what we're going to talk about later. What about iodine? Iodine? Ah, iodine, yes. So the, there's a lot that we could say about iodine. And uh, I actually... You know, I haven't heard very many other doctors uh, talking about the use of iodine prophylactically as a preventive or as, as a way to kill the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus on contact. There's, and so I have all the papers, the, the scientific studies with me today, a whole stack of them, that show how iodine can be effectively used by the population in general Okay, and by healthcare providers to greatly decrease their risk of contracting COVID-19 from other individuals that they're treating, especially 
dentists or, or individuals mm-hmm. that, I mean, they're right there in your face working in your mouth, and, and so they're going to be exposed to whatever is that you have. And so there, there are studies now showing that you can use iodine as a mouthwash, as a nasal rinse, and as basically a hand sanitizer uh, to power, basically it kills pretty much any virus, uh, polio virus, mm. uh, MERS virus, a- any hardcore virus, Ebola. I mean, the, the, I'm far more concerned about Ebola than I ever will be for, for, you know, for SARS-CoV-2 okay. uh, virus. But, but it actually has been now documented to kill SARS-CoV-2 virus completely within 15 seconds. So why and that's at really dilute concentration. So why wouldn't we want to use that? Well, it's interesting. And, and of course, Dan, we've been talking about this uh, since actually February. That's right. Since, since, be, since we were just starting to be concerned about what might happen. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So I'm going to kind of um, leave that towards the okay. end of our discussion. So that's something you want to stay tuned for because there's a lot of studies there's a lot of information. I brought, I brought a dilute uh, solution of potassium iodide that you can use intranasally and for your mouth. You can actually inhale it into your lungs while you're just taking a breath. And you can just, you basically create a, a barrier, uh, a shield, if you will, that mm-hmm. complete, a, a virus zapper, if you will, that will completely kill viruses uh, of any nature. Uh, on contact. So we'll talk about that. And that's been something that my family has used ever since we started talking about this back in February. And spray it so it gets in your face, your eyes. And it's as effective now as it was back when we talked about it in February. It's good stuff. That's right. It's a preamble to what we'll discuss in a little bit. That's right. Um, The, as I was reading about this in early February, I came across uh, information that after the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, the U.S. government obviously was very concerned about what do we do if this happens again, right? Can we afford to have uh, 600,000 people die in, in, in a year and a half's time of our population? So there was a huge amount of deaths that came from that. And, and so they studied this for over 25 years, and the final conclusion by all the researchers that were looking at this was saying nothing is more effective at addressing the uh, various respiratory viruses than iodine. You can use it in the mist. It was actually being used in schools. Uh, just mist, it was just misted in school classrooms to prevent any transmission between students back, back, back way back in the 40s. Uh, it can be used uh, by doctors to spray and pretreat their their N95 masks. Yep. So it's, a, it's another uh, basically complete barrier against the virus. It can be used many different ways, but there's some simple ways that we can use it, and we'll go over that in a little bit. Well, let's let's jump right directly to the the bigger picture right now, Dr. Youngberg. There are. Eight natural remedies, plus there's a couple of other principles we talk about for a total of 10. We want to go through that 10. Number one is sleep. Is that, That's something that I try to get enough of, don't always. <laughs> but having your body sleep so that you are repairing the damage that's done just wear and tear in the day. How important is sleep to making sure that you are able to handle this as well as possible if you're exposed? In every aspect of medicine whether it's optimizing your brain and, 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 and trying to, to uh, reverse aspects of cognitive decline or, or restore optimal cardiovascular function, and it's certainly in order to restore optimal immune function, we, we have to recognize that sleep is critical. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of... We could literally spend several hours on the studies that specifically look at the impact of a lack of sleep or staying up late one night uh, to watch a late movie or do some homework or try to finish a project that we got to get done for tomorrow at at work or whatever it might be. And and, uh, bottom line is this. 
if, if you stay up later than you normally do, and the goal is to really have about two hours of sleep before midnight, mm-hmm. that's the goal, because that is what optimizes the immune system. That is what uh, increases your ability to produce melatonin while you're asleep or to release it into your bloodstream while you're asleep. And, and melatonin is that repair and fix it uh, 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 hormone that dramatically uh, s- supports the immune system. And so, so if you get enough sleep uh, or optimal sleep at night, your immune system the next morning is going to be optimal. But studies show if you just go to bed three hours later than normal, like let's say you normally go to bed at 10 and, you, and you, now you go to bed at 1 o'clock, which doesn't seem to be that late to many people. You know, I, I've heard now that high school students on average don't get to bed till 1 or 2 in the morning because they have so much homework. And I that's crazy. I don't yes. remember doing that in high school, but we're setting up our younger generation for Alzheimer's by, by, by forcing them to work extra hard at night when they should be sleeping. Nothing more important during the developmental years of, of the brain, which is up to age 25 or even later, than having a good night's sleep consistently. So if you stay up three hours later than, you, than normal, the next morning, Dan, our immune system, the innate immune system, our innate ability to fight off viruses, to fight Mm -hmm. off infections, drops by 30 to 50 percent. Now, that's a huge amount. And and that represents the difference between you being exposed to something that your body just slaps around and gets rid of because your immune system is robust or completely succumbing to the effect of that virus, so it starts replicating in your body and then takes over and, and potentially places you at risk of serious injury or death. And so, so, so bottom line is that, you know, why is it that I, I, every week I hear, I get a phone call from a patient who says, oh, my son or my daughter in college, they got COVID and, and, uh, and they're really sick. And I'm going like, if I had a chance to interview them, and I have had an opportunity to interview some of them, usually it's because they're staying up late partying or just staying up late, okay, or they're, they're, they're binge drinking, okay? And you don't have to, when, you know, binge drinking by definition is four beers or more. A lot of people say, well, that's just my normal drinking behavior. Well, that means you're a normal binger, medically speaking. Now, now so just a couple beers, Studies have shown back when we were concerned about HIV and the AIDS epidemic back in the late 80s and 90s, um, we, we learned that just having a couple beers dramatically increased your risk, if exposed to HIV, that it would get you. Okay, so there's a window of opportunity that if you're not sleeping well, and, and, and the next morning or next day you get exposed to even a fairly low dose of the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, it's got you. Yeah. It's got you. And then on average, five days later, all of a sudden, you wake up and go, oh, something is wrong. And that virus has been replicating in your body already dramatically for five days. So sleep. Um, some people sleep like a baby. You know, I lay down and hit the pillow and I'm gone like you're blessed. And I am blessed. Karen said, my wife, who she says, why is it that you can go to sleep so fast? It takes me 45 minutes just to go to sleep. And different people, and I've, I've often said, there's so much sleeplessness in our, in our world, and especially in our nation of the United States. How in the world can we get people to sleep more? And what would be, just quickly, two or three strategies of how, if you say, I don't sleep enough, how can I sleep more? Just because I don't want to get bogged down in this. Maybe well, we should I know do a that you and Karen go on, on walks every morning. We do. And so, but the first thing I always tell people, if they're, if they're trying to figure out how to be able to sleep better, the first thing I say is make sure that you're on a regular exercise program, that you're doing light exercise immediately after every meal, at least 10 minutes. That evens out your blood sugar curve after the meal. And if you're pre-diabetic or diabetic, then that's really critical in this case because, because studies have now, are now showing, studies out of England, which keep statistics on every single citizen 
uh, find that one-third, 31% of all the deaths due to COVID in England were diabetic. Wow. Wow. So, so, so this, that's why we, we're talking about focus protection. The, the majority of, of children and even adults in the United States are really not at that high risk. Okay. But, but if you have underlying conditions, the older we are, the more likely we are to have underlying conditions. It's not the age per se that increases our risk. It's whether we're healthy or not that increases our risk. And so if we have underlying conditions like prediabetes, diabetes, obesity, uh, hypertension, underlying heart disease, uh, things like autoimmune disease, that's what predisposes us to, to uh, being susceptible not only to the infection, but to having serious illness, requiring hospitalization, and, there, and, and potentially dying. So a full third of all deaths, in, in England at least, and I believe that's true worldwide, mm-hmm. is related to diabetes. So if you've got diabetes, if somebody's watching this and they say, hey, I've got diabetes, then you'd say one of the first things you've got to do is make sure you're getting sleep. Absolutely. You want to make sure you're getting sleep. Absolutely. Okay. Now, so exercise program, Karen and I do that. Give me a couple other quick, quick things about how you can make sure you're sleeping because that's a big challenge. Another thing is, is uh, looking at your meal timing. Uh, I, I talk to my patients a lot about making sure that they have two or three good meals a day, depending on their metabolism and what they feel best with. But then in between meals, no, no snacking. And so if, if you don't snack in between meals, your body digests that food better and it, it prepares you for a better sleep that night. Likewise, you don't want to eat too close to bedtime. Uh, preferably at least three hours or maybe even four hours of no food before bedtime so that your digestive organs have done most of their work already. And when you go to bed, you're not trying to, your body's not focusing on initiating digestion while it's trying to also initiate sleep. Now, I have one more thought on this before we go to the next point uh, on sleep. You mentioned melatonin a minute ago. And I know that melatonin is a part of your young immune um, uh, package that you do for, for uh, supplements. I had somebody send me a copy of the University of Virginia Medical Center's list, and they had melatonin on there. So melatonin is something that can be very good as a preventive part of staying away from, from the... You, you used, I, I'm saying COVID, you're saying... Uh, SARS-CoV-2. I well, yeah, COVID-19 thing. is the disease, is the illness okay. and that's caused by the virus called SARS-CoV-2. Okay. okay, so melatonin is an important part of that process, and it might not hurt for people to have a little melatonin. To help Absolutely. In fact, uh, you're referring to the University of West Virginia Medical Center where Dr. Paul Merrick is, is one of the top clinicians and, okay. and uh, the director of, of the pulmonary uh, ICU there. And he, uh, he has basically shown that many of these things that we're going to talk about, optimizing vitamin C, uh, optimizing zinc, and optimizing melatonin as both a preventive right now, because especially if you're at risk. So if you, if, you are, uh, if you have weight to lose, if you're hypertensive, if you have any underlying medical condition, you're a higher risk. And so especially those of you with risk need to be paying attention to these simple remedies that you could start now, even before you're exposed or before you get sick. And, and melatonin is one of them, roughly three milligrams. So we have three milligrams in that young immune formula. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I have some patients that, especially those who struggle with sleep, they may take as much as 15 milligrams. But, you know, the average person would take between one and three milligrams uh, okay. daily. But that's an excellent strategy to help with sleep because sleep is important. Now, I want to shift over to the next point, and that is rest. And there's a difference between sleep and rest. And let me give you an illustration of, of something that happened just a week or two ago. One of my family members, in fact, one of my brothers-in-law, um, called me after he had come through a really tough uh, situation with COVID. He got it and was the only one of our family. Six people got it. He was the only one at serious risk. And after about four days, he had turned the corner. He was so happy to be alive. He called me and said, 
Dan, thank you so much for encouraging and helping all this. I'm ready to, I'm raring to go. I said, wait, 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 wait. You know, the study out of, uh, out of Minnesota from 1918 had additional rest. And I know one of the strategies we've talked about is sleep, but the next one is rest. What's the difference when you say sleep and rest? Some people say those are one and the same, but they're really not. So, so the amount of rest that we need, as opposed to sleep, is determined by how healthy we feel and how healthy we are. There's a difference. Sometimes we feel really healthy, like we're ready to go back to work or whatever. I, I've had several patients uh, that I've been working with long distance who are in Florida or in New York or other places that, that, have, that ended up you know, being exposed to a, a, a family member that had COVID and, um, and uh, be, you know, because during that party they had some wine and kind of let loose a little bit and, and they, they became suscept- more susceptible. And even mm-hmm. though they were otherwise very fit, otherwise very healthy, uh, much healthier than the average person, they still got COVID. Now, the amount of symptoms that they developed were, were minimal compared to many. Uh, but it's literally taken them over a month to completely get over their fatigue. And so, so that, that underscores this principle that you just raised yes. about the importance of rest. And we, we've learned by reports from 1918 in the Spanish flu that, that one of the best uh, strategic uh, approaches to protecting ourselves uh, against against uh, succumbing to a virus is that you, get, you go immediately, once you know you're sick or once you know you've been exposed, you immediately get, re- you get lots of rest. And if you're sick and, you're, and you're, you have a, a, a mild fever, you immediately go to bed. You're in complete bed rest, which a lot of people you know, are bored to death, mm. but you want to have complete bed rest to give your immune system 100% of the energy so that it can marshal that against the virus. Because it's fighting a battle for your life. And so it needs 100% of that energy. And, uh, and, so, and then you not only stay in bed for a day or two, but the rule of thumb has been, and it's a good rule, that once you feel like you no longer have a fever, mm-hmm. no longer have any symptoms, you're like, hey, i got to get back. You know, i got to get back to work. And, of course, that's why... That's one reason we have this, this, this rule of 14 days, which has now, you know, now been decreased to 10 days. days. And if you have no symptoms, seven days yeah. with, a, with a negative test. Uh, so, but, but during that time, you want to fully rest for at least two more days and maybe even longer, depending on your constitution. And that's where you have to use your own intuition and understanding of your past health and how quickly you get over. One of the biggest concerns, Dan, about, about uh, COVID-19 is that this illness can linger uh, at a subclinical level where you don't really feel sick, but it's there. It hasn't been fully eradicated, and it's leading to post-viral syndromes, post-viral uh, uh, neuralgia. It's, it's causing significant neurologic problems. We know from the data from from the uh, 1918 Spanish flu, that children who were born around that time uh, were much more likely to develop Parkinson's disease, a neurologic illness. And so, so we, don't, we want to take this seriously now. We want to optimize your immune system. That's their only hope, okay? Because ultimately, this virus is going to touch you and me and everybody. everybody. And so if we don't have a strong immune system, it doesn't matter what else you've been doing, social distancing, wearing masks, you're, if you get exposed to the virus through the mask, through social distancing, it's, it's going to get you unless your immune system is strong. So that's our emphasis today. And, and it brings me to one more question. I was talking to a friend today whose brother actually got COVID and was infected and stayed home, didn't have to go to the hospital. But he is very physically active, even though he has some underlying conditions. But he went in, he works out in a home gym. And he monitors his, his uh, you know, pulse and all these things, respirations. And he noticed after he recovered and got back into the gym that his heart rate had gone from, you know, it had gone up like 10 points. Yeah. Now, when he's exercising, where before it was lower, like in the high 50s, low 60s, now it's 10 points higher. 
Why would that be, and what does that say about rest? How soon should you get back into some exercise that stresses you a little bit? That, that is a great example of why just because we, you know, we're, you know, we, we're, most of us are, let's get to this. Let's yes. do this. Let's power through it. You know, no pain, no gain. You know, it's okay if I'm a little tired, but I'm going to do it because I know it's good for me. Yeah. Well, think again. It may actually not be good for you to be exercising at that level post an illness. Post illness, you need to fully recover. You need to give your body time to recover. You want to fully eradicate this. You want to let your immune system take all the energy to fight the virus. Otherwise, if you start working out, it, it, it actually could set you back and it could allow that virus to entrench itself into your system where you, you, you may have this for many, many months or years at a low chronic you know, brain fog, uh, adrenal fatigue level. And, and you don't want to do that. Give yourself a break. You can go for walks outside. You know, if, you, if, if you're feeling okay, you can go for walks. But no, no hard exertion, right? Uh, and, and not even that if you have symptoms. You just need total bed rest if you have symptoms. And that's going to allow your heart and lungs to recover, I am trusting. Yeah, so the fact that the heart rate is 10 points higher than normal tells me that something is not right there, and that yeah. should be a, a biomarker, okay, a, a, a form of, uh, of uh, recognition that we need to back off. And let that rest, just allow it to rehydrate, sort of. Rehydrate, that takes me to the next topic. Water. Okay, we've talked about uh, sleep, rest, water. How important is that simple H2O? Yeah, so water is critical. You know, we, this it's one of the things that we first forget about. Um, I, I used to run marathons when I was younger. And I would just stick to basketball. <laughs> and uh, and uh, when, when we ran marathons, our, our running coaches would say, if you let yourself get thirsty, game over. Okay, in other words, you, you're, you're going to fail. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna bonk out. Uh, you're going to burn out way ahead of that 26.2-mile finish line. And so we learn that we hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. If you don't feel like taking that glass of water at mile one or mile two, you do it anyways because you know you need to hydrate. So it's, it's really critical that we're hydrating optimally. And so there's, okay, the, the, the best tips on this, Dan, is that what, what the, the habit that I'm falling into that's really important is the first thing we do in the morning when we wake up, after using the restroom, go downstairs, I put some filtered water uh, uh, on a pot to heat it up, and I get a tall mug of warm to hot water. Okay, so I have uh, what most people would call a coffee mug. I call it my hot water mug because that's what I drink. And I drink, I, so I hydrate with, with around 20 ounces of water first thing in the morning. That's the time of the day you're the most dehydrated this first thing in the morning. So you need to hydrate immediately. That's, that's most important. Number two is, is about mid-morning and mid-afternoon. If you're not good at remembering drinking water at least mid-morning and mid-afternoon, set your smartphone to 10 and 3, okay? And, and, uh, and then drink a lot of water. Drink 16 to 20 ounces of water then. So if you do, even if that's the only time you drink water, you're, you're fairly well hydrated if you do those three things. Of course, the goal is to do additional to that as well. You know, it's really funny. We Here in Fallbrook, we're close to Camp Pendleton, which is one of the major marine bases for the United States of America. And we've had a number of uh, Marines that have worshipped with us here in our church. And I can't help but remember, it's not just those of us in church and, and yourself and others that are professionals in health education. I remember these guys always carrying these, these Marines who had gone through this very vigorous training, carrying, uh, you know, water and drinking water. They were taught as a part of fine-tuning their body to be able to serve most effectively to hydrate. So water cannot be uh, underestimated. But what about fresh air? Yeah, so, in, you know, because water is so important to optimize the immune system, after all, the immune system operates through the circulation and the lymphatics, and that requires hydration. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can't, if it's not flowing, it's not, it's, not, it's not helping you. So fresh air is also really critical. Uh, again, the studies in 
the reports from the Spanish flu epidemic 102 years ago uh, show us that those individuals who were sick, who might have otherwise died, if they spent a large amount of time in their beds outside, they literally took the beds outside in the fresh air, in the sunshine, and, and they did dramatically better just because they were getting more fresh air and sunshine. So what about now? I'm really glad, Dan, that, that the public health authorities have, have realized their mistake from the beginning of the lockdowns. I mean, there was lockdowns, especially in Europe, that were arresting people for being out in their yard. I know. <laughs> because somehow, somehow the virus was more likely to be in their yard than in their house. And of course, we know that the reverse is true. Uh, and, and so now, now, instead of closing the beaches and closing the parks and closing the trails, the, the public health services are saying, no, we're going to keep those open because we know that you're least likely to transmit virus when you're outside, especially in nature, especially in fresh air and sunshine. And, of course, that's not only a safer place to be, but you're getting direct physiologic benefit from being uh, outside in the fresh air and sunshine. And you know, sunshine is one of the amazing things that, that, that activates our immune systems in many different ways, way beyond the impact on vitamin D. Of course, uh, in our last discussion, we, we emphasized that sunshine is not necessarily the best way to get vitamin D for those of us that are older, those of us that actually need it, right? Uh, but that's why we need to supplement that. But sunshine is still yes. immensely beneficial to you or I and, and individuals who are elderly be, because of other reasons. It's a disinfectant. Yes. It's, uh, it, it, it's a, it's mood, a elevator. mood elevator. It's a stress uh, reducer. It dramatically enhances the immune system. It stimulates the production uh, uh, and release of more melatonin yes. when you're asleep. It does many things. So, so I, I actually tell my patients that we should actually plan on being outside at least an hour a day. Now, very few of us are successful at that, uh, especially with the early sundown uh, before 5 o'clock yeah. here right now. Uh, but, but, you know, your lunch hour, try to spend it outside if you can. Uh, try, try to go walking after breakfast and lunch while the sun is out and it's light. Uh, I, I'm because I'm still learning to surf. I'm out in my pool paddling on the boogie board in the mornings, and the sun is shining on the pool, and I'm getting that yeah. that beneficial sunlight to to improve my immune system. So, so fresh air, sunlight are critical. Fresh air, sunlight, and exercise. Now we talked about not getting too fast, getting back into heavy exercise too fast, but light exercise. You know that Karen and I we walk about two and a half miles every morning, and then. Sometimes Karen will log on her little Fitbit, 15,000, 20,000 steps. I, I've lost three Fitbits. I, I, whatever <laughs> I walk, I walk. But in any event, the, the exercise, and of course, here in Southern California, we have an advantage, weather. We can get out. But what about, uh, what about people that live in Minnesota or South Dakota or, or Washington where you don't see the sun? I think back to when we lived in Wisconsin. That's where Karen's from, originally from Milwaukee. We lived there for 13 years. 20 below zero, she was bundled up and out walking with, with uh, one of her friends and our little dog. I wasn't because I was in my office working. But even in the cold, she did that. So what would you say about people who are not in as hospitable a weather situation during the wintertime? I, I think that the key has to do with our cap capabilities. We don't want to encourage people who are frail. Uh, elderly, yes, because you, be, you can be sturdy and healthy elderly. But if you're frail and you're not sure on your feet and, and there's an ice storm like there is in, in Michigan and Ohio right now, um, now, you don't want to go outside. You don't want to put yourself at risk and have a concussion or, 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 or break a bone or a hip, sure. right? So, so the, the key is if you're able to go outside and you're comfortable and you're agile enough to get around in the snow and the ice, do so. 
Just bundle up. It's actually good for you. Getting, in fact, I, I used to exercise most outside in the wintertime because I, I just love that, that cold, fresh air mm. early morning. You know, the first footprints in the snow on the road around my neighborhood in Bering Springs, Michigan. Yes. I love going jogging with my brother and my dad early morning. And so get outside, bundle up, enjoy the outdoors. Now, if you're frail or if you're un, unsure of, of uh, you know, being safe outside, there's so many things you can do inside, right? So many people have treadmills, many people have bicycles, or a rebounder, um, uh, a stepper, you, you name it. Just, or even just standing up and st- just, just marching in place, moving your arms up and down while you're even sitting down. If you have, if you have leg problems or, or, or you can't do things standing up or walking, Everybody can do something, okay? So just figure out what that is, okay? Instead of, you know, we, humanly speaking, we tend to make excuses why we can't do something rather than realizing that, the, that, the, that there's an easy alternative that will be just as good. So exercise indoors, not a problem. Even walking around back and forth in the house, walking up and down the stairs, uh, just sit, sitting up, standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down, right in the chair where you are. That's an excellent exercise. And, uh, and I always tell my patients every time I see them, uh, get the seven-minute uh, workout app on your smartphone or your iPad or, or your computer, and you can find one that's for your, your uh, abilities and your age. And every day you do seven minutes of exercise that tone your muscles, which directly enhance your immune system and enhance brain function as well. So you've got all this exercise, you're going to be hungry. Nutrition. How do you, what are two or three major things that everybody should be thinking about as far as getting the right fuel? The, the first thing I do uh, is I work with patients to optimize their, their meal planning is, is what I call the three-cube diet. It's, um, it's, it's basically focusing on getting three cups of three different things as the beginning part of your meal balancing. And all of these have to do primarily with non-starchy vegetables uh, with a few exceptions that are fruits. But number one, three cups or more of green leafy vegetables daily. And, and I try to get half of those with breakfast through a, a breakfast stir-fry that I love now. Uh, and so any kind of deep green leafy vegetable, there's, there's dozens of them that you can choose from. Try to get three servings of that. Of course, when you chop them up and when you uh, stir-fry them, and they end up being really a small amount. But they're highly nutritious, and they're giving you a lot of vitamin K, a lot of which are, by, by the way, vitamin K is important to have on board if you're taking more vitamin D, um, as is vitamin A. Uh, it's important to have enough of that if you're taking uh, vitamin D as well for the purposes we outlined last time. Yes. Um, so, so, so that's the first step. The second step is three cups or more of colored non-starchy vegetables. These, these can be anything that's deep colors. You know, we, we know that the colors themselves are the pigments that create the colors are themselves uh, chemicals, we call them phytochemicals, that powerfully alter the expression of our genes, that turn good genes on and bad genes off, as long as these colors are from real food, right? Not, not Skittles and Fruit Loops, right? So, so carrot sticks. Yeah. I love carrot sticks in hummus. And now, today, you can buy so many different kinds of hummus. Garlic hummus, olive tapenade hummus, you know. And, and that's a good, so carrots would be good. Beets? Yes, be- beets, uh, great. Uh, I mean, anything, any colorful vegetable. Enjoy that. Red, red bell peppers, you name it. Now, the third category you actually alluded to already, Dan, and that is, that is the sulfur-rich foods, like uh, cabbage. Uh, the the um, Brussels sprouts, uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of 
onions, uh, garlic, mushrooms, etc. There's there's a whole bunch of foods that fit that. You can look up sulfur-rich foods on, you know, just Google yeah. it and and try to have, you know, three servings of that a day. And actually, I get I get a big share of that with my stir fry every morning. And that's one of my that is actually my favorite part of breakfast. And, and so you're getting a dramatic amount of nutrients. The biggest problem with the American diet and, and the diet worldwide today is, is what I call hypercaloric malnutrition, that, that we're, we're actually uh, gaining weight yeah. on a diet that is malnourishing. We're, we're not nourishing our body properly. We have very few nutrients but a lot of calories. So we want to flip that where we get a lot of nutrients and, very f- and fewer calories so it balances out. So that's the first step that I would emphasize on nutrition. Now, now one, one key caveat would be, the, in, in, from a nutritional medicine standpoint, we, we first want to make sure we're getting the right nutrients at high enough levels so that the body can start healing, but we also need to get rid of the toxins. And the number, one of the number one sources of toxins in our, from our environment is, is in our diet. And so we need to start making better choices about getting rid of the refined products, the sugary products, which are COVID-19 loves sugar. And they're the kinds that are going to undermine your health, right? Big time. They're gonna, and we want to avoid the things that are going to undermine health and do the things that are going to strengthen and empower health. And that's really pretty basic and simple. Now, uh, last, the last uh, point that you were looking at, uh, and, well, stress, actually next to the last. Do you think people are pretty stressed out about COVID? <laughs> Everybody's stressed. Everybody's Everybody stressed, stressed out. And, and so that's why we need, to, uh, we need to be kinder and, more, and gentler. We need to be more forgiving. Uh, we need to um, be careful with the horn, right? Mm-hmm. We need to be, you know, courtesy taps maybe, but none of this, oh, man, I'm, you know, what's your problem? Yeah. And so... So we need to be very forgiving. And when we do that, when we have an attitude of gratitude that includes a, 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 a quick willingness to forgive and forget, that, that really calms yeah. the stress in our lives dramatically. And, uh, and, and that means that our immune system rises to the occasion because it's not being suppressed by anger, resentment, hostility, uh, envy, fear, and so forth. So fear not, yes. right? Uh, there, it, we 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 can we can do our best that we can, and then rely on God for the for the rest. And you know, I have two good friends that are uh, that have seen a lot of years, and both of these friends have begun focusing in these moments of their lives on concentrating on gratitude. And if you stop and think about what it is that you've been blessed with and you just give thanks for it and express gratitude for your blessings, that's going to take away that anxiety. That's going to take away the, the fears that we have out there. If here. we begin every day with a prayer thanking God yes. for all the blessings he's given to us rather than being concerned about all this, the challenges that we're exposed to, that would set the stage for for optimizing our immune system in a powerful way. And I want you to know that Karen and I, first thing in the morning when we wake up, we pray. Last thing we do before we go to sleep is we pray. Mm. And talking to God and just expressing our thankfulness to him is a wonderful thing for us. And I know prayer, that's something that everyone can benefit from. So if we give thanks to God and then we show gratitude to one another, yes. um, there's, we can... By, by smiling to people that maybe we're not getting along with really well, yes. that's an act of investment yes. where we actually start liking them more just because we smiled at them. So that's, <laughs> a, that's the principle of investment as, right. as discussed by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere yes. Christianity, uh, that if we just start doing little nice things, random acts of kindness, kindness. that powerfully diminishes the stress in our lives and fortunately, the stress in everybody's lives that we come in contact with. Well, we just have about 15 minutes left. So I want to go. We, we've talked about these 10 things that are, that are really umbrella over all of good health and immune system development and strengthening. 
But let's, talk, let's come back and talk about, uh, about the iodine for a moment. Iodine. We, we started talking about that. You've got some studies, and uh, I know that there are some things that we want to look at. So let's just talk about the simple things. Last week we talked about vitamin D, but iodine. I mean, we've been using it all this time. Some people watching this may have, but what? why are you so high on iodine? Yeah, so, you know, I, I was just looking through my emails today, yep. and I came across an email I sent to a physician friend of mine who at the time was, was working in the Middle East. And, uh, and uh, I, I, this was February 19, 2020. Okay. So it was kind of at the very beginning. beginning. And uh, before we did one of our first presentations here at the church, uh, and, and I, I, I was sharing with them some of the research that I was, that I was reviewing, uh, uh, maybe for the second, third time, but now in a way that was very practical, that we really needed to consider using iodine as a daily part of our, of our preventive strategy uh, to to create this shield and this, this, this zap, bug zapper, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, against viruses and bacteria rule. and fungi. Really, it's, iodine is the best antimicrobial known to man, okay? or broad, broad spectrum. And, and yet it's, it gets no billing at all. And nobody makes any money selling iodine. You know? uh, and, but it's such a beneficial, simple remedy that you know we've been talking about yeah. it since then. So I, I was I was basically suggesting uh, to my physician friend that that they could use iodine uh, as as we mentioned here. Let me f- pick it up. It's a glass little container, a little slick. But this is just just very dilute potassium iodide, which is um, so dilute it's only 150 micrograms per drop. So if you do, if you do um, one spray, and you have to take the little clip off, if you ever get this little snoot cap or, or spritzer spray cap, uh, you have to take the little, the little lock cap off. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll never get any iodine out. We get a calls every once in a while. It doesn't work because well, you've got to unlock it. <laughs> okay, and so so the, the nice thing about this, this is so simple, so inexpensive, that, by the way, this comes with a dropper, so you always have to buy the, the, the snoot cap, the, the spritzer cap separately, and it just screws right onto the top. And so I don't know if you can see this on, on, on the video. Uh, we can see it just yes. fine, but this, this, it, it, it's a very fine mister, and you can actually spray it up in the air and let it fall on your face, and it becomes a disinfectant, a natural disinfectant on your face, on your skin, and even your eyes. And so one of the concerns about about the, the virus is that it could, aeros- it could aerosolize and eventually uh, hit your eyes yes. and, and, and infect you that way. Well, one way to protect you for yourself from that is just use this uh, periodically. Uh, I, I do it once a day, but if I'm, if I'm out and about more, because I spend most of my day on Zoom in my yes. office, not really in direct contact with patients, but when patients come in, I'll do this before and after. And you can use it as a disinfectant on your hands. Just spray that. And then every morning when I shave, Dan, I use this, this dilute uh, potassium iodide, which is a nutritional form of iodine. You can, you can drink this. You can, you can use it topically or internally uh, without any, any problems. And it would be very rare to have an allergy to this form of iodine, extremely rare, like one in a million. Uh, but so, so I just, I just take two squirts up each nostril, and I bring, put it in. So it just basically goes right into all the sinus cavities, and and based on the research which I'm going to share with you, that iodine in many forms have the capacity to completely kill SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes. COVID-19, within 15 seconds, completely, not just 98%, completely. So, so uh, I just do this in both sinuses, and, and then, if, again, if I'm going to be out and about, if I'm going to be in more contact with mm-hmm. people, I, you can do it more often. Then I also do, because uh, it's been reported that it takes about two to three days, Dan, 
for once you get exposed to the virus, for the virus to start replicating where it's lodged in your sinuses or in your throat or in, uh, or, or in your mouth area, and then, it, and then it migrates down to the lungs. And so what I do is I take every morning, I take three, three puffs, if you will. I just spray it into my mouth and inhale Why I do that. So I'm, I'm literally inhaling that fine mist yes. of potassium iodide, a form of iodine, into my lungs where it's now going to act as a, as a disinfectant that's nutritional. Mm. Okay? okay, so there are disinfectants that you can take internally uh, and are actually good for you, and this, this is the one. Uh, the, that will basically kill any microbe, any fungus. Uh, I, I had recently, I was working with a a good friend of mine who's a family physician in Michigan mm-hmm. who, who had referred one of his neighbors to me for other reasons, but she had chronic lung infections due to a fungal infection from many years before, and then she got COVID. Okay, well, we made sure that she had access to this, and, and my physician friend, who was their neighbor, actually had these because he was using them for his own family, and did a house call, and I gave them mm. uh, uh, at their extra bottle of, of liquid iodine with the snoot cap so that she could start treating that uh, and, and greatly limit her risk of having to be hospitalized because she would have been at high risk of her chronic lung infections, high risk of succumbing to, to the virus. I have a couple of quick questions. Can you, can you get too much of this? Will it hurt you? Well, you can get too much water, okay? So, so the answer is yes, you can get too much of anything. So that's why, uh, by the way, my, my protocol that I give out to uh, patients or individuals who just want to read it as an educational resource is on my website, dryoungberg.com. It's, it's, what, it's my immune optimization blog for respiratory viruses, right? And so, and so it, it, you can read all about the information on iodine, including hydrotherapy and, and zinc and yes. quercetin and vitamin C and vitamin D and, and all the other strategies that we've been outlining today. Um, so real briefly here, since time is limited, yeah, time is limited. Let me, let, me, let me just quickly point out, there's, I have a whole stack of studies here on iodine. And, and what, I'll, what I'll do is I'll add this to the description section of, the, of our YouTube okay. uh, 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 That, that, we're, that we're filming right now. So they'll be able to download okay, them. So th- I'm going to have link or, or information about all these studies there so you can review that for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. But basically, I, I, have, I have studies and uh, articles from journals, Applied Microbiology in 2010, talking about how powerful virucidal that iodine is as a, as a powerful disinfectant to basically pretty much any virus. Uh, we have um, uh, another article here that, that uses, uses iodine uh, for uh, uh, ophthalmic uh, conjunctivitis. Wow. And so, okay. so it's actually being, being uh, put into the eye. So, so people say, oh, that's dangerous to put that in your eye. Mm, no, this, there's actually studies. Now, you don't want to use Lugol's iodine in your eye. You don't want to use uh, a full concentration of 10% povidone iodine in your eye. So that's why you got you to pay attention to what the protocol calls for. If it's for. red, Very dilute, very dilute options. So, so there's, there's studies uh, about that. Uh, there's, there's studies here from 2015 on how iodine is one of the most effective hand washes and hand, hand rub products for killing Ebola, all kinds of viruses. So that's, that was uh, published in Biomed Central. Uh, good, good study. Then there was a big review in the infectious disease therapy in 2019, right before all this happened, that was looking at infectious disease management and control with iodine. Okay, so it, so it just goes over, so you know, for over 60 years, we've had research showing how powerful this is and, and how it can stop the spread of infections and Um, and, you know, the World Health Organization lists this as one of the most mm-hmm. essential medicines. And, and yet you never hear about it, right? Uh, so it's, it's, it's something that we should have in our emergency kit. You can, you can disinfect water with it. 
no matter how infected it is. I mean, iodine is a very powerful, important medicine, uh, and it, it kills pretty much any virus. And then uh, last two quick studies here, uh, a, 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 a letter or, or an article that was published in the Journal of uh, Prosthodontics showing that even very dilute sources of iodine would would basically kill MERS, which which had a wow. a very high death rate, far far more deadly than 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 the COVID nineteen is, and and it was it was killing it at dilutions of zero point two three percent, completely. So so uh, it's and it's very safe to use uh, both orally, okay, as a mouthwash, a mouth rinse, and and uh, a nasal irrigation. Uh, and so then the last study he was published in the Journal of American Medical Association, and, and this was in June or July of 2020, basically highlighting that this, this iodine, especially povidone iodine, which comes in a 10% solution, you can dilute that 20 to 1, and it still completely kills COVID-19. Or wow. it kills the virus that causes COVID nineteen. So, so uh, hopefully, and, and and then in my uh, our, uh, protocol on my website dryoungberg.com, I have a downloadable study by Dr. David uh, Derry, who's an MD PhD who is very knowledgeable in iodine, and and uh, in two thousand nine, because of other respiratory pandemics. He had recommended, he did a review of all the research on iodine, saying everybody should be using iodine in methods like we've described, and you can read that article for yourself. So this isn't some idea I just dreamed up. I'm just taking advantage of this, of this great information by some of the giants of medicine in the past, and we just need to resurrect that information and use it wisely. Amen. Amen to that. Now, I know we were going to talk about... Uh, uh, vitamin D in those studies at the end. But you know what? We just have a very few minutes left. And I know there were several other things. We, we were talking about um, zinc, quercetin, uh, vitamin C, some of those additional supplements that can help boost or handle either phase one or phase two of the disease. Why don't you just touch quickly on those points as we come to a conclusion? One thing that I've been doing for the last uh, couple of years in my practice and I've, I've, I've come to recognize how critical it is that I'm measuring everybody's blood levels of zinc, the plasma zinc, serum copper, and ceruloplasmin levels. Now, ceruloplasmin is, is the protein carrier, the transport vehicle for copper in the blood. And, and so we don't want, we, we don't want the copper level to be free and floating around, causing oxidative stress and free radical damage and tissue damage throughout the body. We want most of it, uh, 90 to 95% of it, attached to the, the protein called ceruloplasma. So that's why we measure that too. So even patients of mine who have a relatively low level of serum copper, if their ceruloplasma level is also relatively low, they actually have a very high percent free copper, which is a very serious cause of oxidative stress in the body. And, and oxidative stress is bad. It's free radical damage. It, it basically is like you got, you got little knives going around causing damage throughout your body. And so the first treatment strategy for that is to optimize zinc. So when you optimize zinc, that helps lower free copper levels. It helps, it helps balance that out. And we know from many studies that zinc is very effective, especially when, when uh, accompanied by the flavonoid quercetin, to, which, which transports the zinc into the cell, thus blocking the viral replication. And so we know that, that zinc is critical to eliminate or minimize the ability of the virus to replicate, which, which is that, causes the disease. Which, if you can nail that in the first part of the disease, you may miss the cytokine storm. That's right. And so, so for, for zinc to, and quercetin to be effective in that sense, it really needs to be done in the first phase, uh, as early as possible in, in the course of illness. Now, I know that you talk about this in your uh, immune protocol, which you will put the link up on the, uh, on, on the YouTube channel. 
And we're just about to the end of the time that we've got, uh, Dr. Youngberg. And I trust that those of you who've been watching have enjoyed and have learned something that will be practical that you can put to work in, uh, in your life. And we'll be doing this again. I'm not exactly sure we've got it on the schedule. We're in the December months, but we will be doing this again, so you'll be wanting to watch and see when we do another. Maybe in two weeks we'll see how that goes. But um, there may be some questions that you have, uh, and, and you go to, go to the dryoungberg.com uh, website, and uh, we will talk about the, uh, the vitamin uh, D studies at our next one, unless, okay. you, unless you want to go over by... Let, let me just... Now. I said I was going to talk about it, so let me okay. just re, do it. reemphasize just that briefly. There's two studies that came out. One of them was published by the British Medical Journal. It's been peer-reviewed. It's, it's in the, the you know, British Medical Journals uh, oversee about 70 different medical and allied health journals. And this one was in postgraduate medicine. And it basically looked at people who test positive, Dan, mm-hmm. who, who ha- are either asymptomatic, they have no symptoms, or they have mild symptoms. Would there be value in what the researchers did? They gave 60,000 units of vitamin D, like you, can, you and I can take by, from, from the store, 60,000 units. And, and they did that every day for seven days. And what they found was it, it, took, it took at least seven days for the vitamin D levels to build up above 50 nanograms per deciliters. So that's why you don't wait until you're seriously ill to start vitamin D. You've got to start it earlier on. Uh, So that's that's why this other new study that was being heralded by vitamin D critics as proof that vitamin D is really not that effective, which is ridiculous because, number one, it's not a a peer-reviewed study yet. And, and if you look at, listen to the reviewers uh, or read their comments right on the study, uh, right there on, on, the, on the publication, mm-hmm. you realize, whoa, I would not, be, not want to be one of those study uh, um, a faculty that were responsible for putting that study out because they're getting slammed right now by people who know what they're talking about. So bottom line, if you, if you are asymptomatic, the study in postgraduate medicine showed that, that within, uh, within 21 days, when they rechecked viral titers associated uh, with, with the PCR test, was, in other words, e- even the fragments of the virus were gone in over, over 62% of the patients with the vitamin D. If they did not take the vitamin D, they were randomly assigned to the placebo, only 20% of those had no fragments at 21 days. So, so in other words, the vitamin D therapy for them, even though they were asymptomatic or mild to begin with, had they cleared the virus and the viral particles times faster than those who did not get the vitamin D. So, and then, and then this, uh, this study that was published in MedRxIV, which is just an open source journal for people who just want to you know, present their, their studies before they even get reviewed by the experts on the topic, it, it's, being, it's being picked up by different newsletters and, and uh, medical journals that are, are being critical of vitamin D right now and saying that's proof that it doesn't work when, in fact, the study doesn't at all prove that. And we will talk about this some more. Sure. And next time that we meet, but I will again put the links to that information okay. with a summary of, uh, of, of what is being said about those studies. Bottom line is that that in no way decreases my resolve to, you know, we in this church gave vitamin D to everybody who, who would accept it, right, which is pretty much everybody yes, that, um, that came to our church. And uh, somebody recently called us and said, Hey, I, we hear you gave vitamin D free to your church members. Now, could we get vitamin D free for our church as well? So here's my message for you, or whatever organization you're part of, uh, be the donor for your organization, okay? And it's available. Just, it's not that expensive. Just make, be, be the, the, the influencer, right? The, right. The, the game changer for your community, for, for your organization, for your church, by, by literally raising some money and donating. So everybody who, 
who is willing to take the vitamin D can, and you, by doing so, will save lives if people start taking it now, especially those people who are at risk. So focus protection. Focus in primarily on those who need it the most. As we close tonight, I just want to uh, thank you for watching, and thank you, Dr. Youngberg, for sharing of your time here tonight. Uh, it's our hope and prayer that something has made a difference in your life or someone that you will share this information with over the holiday season. You know, holiday seasons are interesting. And this is going to be one of the most unique holiday seasons that we have experienced in our lifetimes. And it's our prayer that you will be in good health. You'll make good decisions and you will take advantage of some of these very simple strategies from the broad picture to the very specific things that your life will be much, much better. I'm Dan Houghton, Dr. Wes Youngberg, and we're here from Southern California. Watch for us to come again. We're going to have another one of these not too far in the distant future. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.